Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Praise the Lord. So in these verses, Paul compares the Christian life to a race. And since today is sports day, I just felt this would be the message to deliver, you know. And this is not the only place in Scripture that uses a sports analogy. For example, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we are told to run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then again, Paul reminded his protege, Timothy, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. But he's not talking about sports. He's talking about the life that we live in God. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 9, and for the time that we have, let's look at these verses in some detail. Notice verse 24 again. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So one thing that's important for us to know is this. We are saved, we have been saved by grace, but we will be rewarded for our works. I said we're saved by God's unmerited favor. We will be rewarded according to our merit, what we do in this life. Christ's death on the cross is his gift to us. Living for Christ is our gift to him. And just as Olympians compete for a gold medal and all the recognition that goes with it, we should strive to do the will of God, knowing that one day we will be commended. We will be commended by the Lord himself. Can somebody say amen? Now, in a race, in a natural race, the runners are competing with each other. But in this spiritual race, you are not in competition with your fellow Christian. You need to know that. We're not trying to outdo one another with our achievements, even our achievements in the work of God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, do nothing, somebody say nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition. So that means 
Not only what you do is important, but why you do it is important to God. So if one congregation somewhere builds a big, constructs a big church facility, we should not say, we can top that. We'll build an even bigger one. Or if one evangelist has a successful crusade, you should not say, I'll have an even better one. That's the wrong spirit. I said, that's the wrong attitude. What we do, we do for the Lord and for his glory, that his name should be exalted, not our name. Our prayer should be, as the psalmist said, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name we give glory. All of us, all of us, I'm talking to believers this morning, all of us are a part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26 says, if one member, not, not church member, member of the body, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. The success of one is the success of us all because we are joined together. I mean, is your nose jealous of your toes? Is your ear jealous of your elbow? No, it's one body. You know, if somebody says, she has pretty eyes, your feet don't get rebellious and say, I'm not going to be a part of this body anymore. Amen? So if you are secretly, notice the word secretly, if you are secretly unhappy because God has blessed a fellow Christian, or another ministry, you're struggling with envy. And that heart attitude will hinder God from blessing you. You need to rejoice over someone else's blessing as if it was your own. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now notice again, it says all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. You know that medals are not handed out at the starting line. Okay, how many runners? We've got 10? Okay, go ahead and hand everybody a gold medal before we even start. No, they are given after the race is over. And see, some people start well, but end poorly. I remember years ago, an older woman, I didn't say old, I said older. An older woman uh, came to our church and she got saved and filled with the Spirit. And then she told me, but my only regret is that I did not know these things earlier. And I said to her, well, it's not how you start the race that matters, it's how you finish. Maybe you got a late start, but you can finish in grand style. Hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord. But we will not be rewarded simply because we participated or because we have good intentions. You must complete your course. I said, you must press on to complete your course. That's the point. Amen? In uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said these words, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now, folks, he said this before he died. This is not what they preached at his funeral. This is what he said. He knew he had completed his God-given assignment. Amen? Truthfully, most Christians do not finish their race. 
They just run out of time. They just run out of time. And while we must be patient, and while we need to be steady, and we should never be hasty or acting you know, rashly just in the flesh uh, out of anger or out of fear, but we should maintain a sense of urgency to live for God. I said we should maintain a sense of urgency. Now, today's sports day, you know, this has happened more than once where I have watched a football match, whether it's the World Cup or maybe some other, uh, you know, uh, football match. And uh, with maybe two minutes to go in regulation time and one team behind by one goal, that team has just played with great intensity. I mean, they are just on top of their game. And I thought to myself, the thing is, they waited till now. If they had played with that same determination throughout the whole game, they wouldn't be behind. They'd already be well ahead of the other team. Are you listening to me? So as we run our race, you better keep an eye on the clock. Now, I know some of you are thinking about that as I'm preaching, but I'm talking to you right now. You better keep an eye on the clock. Huh? Because the time is short. You don't have a promise for tomorrow. And Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. I don't think we're even at the end of regulation time. I think we've, beyond, I think we've passed that already. I'm telling you the truth. I think we are in the stoppage time. I think actually the game is already over, but God has just tacked on maybe two or three more extra minutes. So folks... It's time for Christ's team to get into the game. And God didn't call you so you could just sit on the bench. He didn't save you so you could be a spectator in the grandstands. He wants you to get, a, get hold of your assignment and do it with all your vigor. Come on, anybody out there today? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. Preach the word. Be instant or be ready in season and out of season. The Amplified Bible says this. Keep your sense of urgency. That's what I'm talking about. Keep your sense of urgency. Whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable. Whether convenient or inconvenient. Whether welcome or unwelcome. So that means we have to live for the Lord. We have to do what God wants us to do even when the weather is not good, even when there are some other things we also need to do, even when other people don't appreciate it, keep your sense of urgency. If something is urgent, it requires immediate attention. In the medical world, and I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but in the medical world, urgent care is when a patient needs to see a doctor right now without delay. So if you have a broken leg, you can't wait until next week to make an appointment to see somebody. You need help right now. The plan of God, the will of God for your life requires your attention urgently right now. Don't have the attitude, heaven can wait. Oh, heaven can wait. A lot of people have this idea that they're going to serve God in their golden years. 
After I've already got married, have my children, whatever, built my business, paid off my mortgage, you know, and retired, living on my pension, then I'm going to get serious about the things of God. So you want to give God the leftovers. If there's anything left after you fulfilled your dreams, that's wrong. Give God your best. Some people pray just as they fall asleep, you know, at night. No, give God your first hour. Give him your best. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Be intentional in your living and be purposeful. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to run my race. Young people, this message is especially for you. Run your race. Verse 24 in the contemporary English version says this, so run to win. I think there's another thought in this verse as well. We should have a winner's attitude. I said, we should have a winner's attitude. You know, Paul was not a pessimistic person. He was not a skeptical, negative person. Some of the most negative people are in church. Did you know that? Maybe that's you. I don't know. You know, just, well, you know, if we have a picnic, it'll rain. Uh, uh, You know, full of complaints, laundry list of, of, of things they're not happy with. Paul was a positive person. He had a can-do attitude. He knew that all things are possible to him who believes. Don't let the devil shrink your vision. I said, don't let the devil shrink your vision. Many times God has put a dream in our hearts, and then other people and human reasoning try to reduce that. Now, come on, be realistic. You might pastor church, but you're probably only going to have a handful of people, not in that small town. And don't be, be realistic. You're never going to, you know, have your own business. You're just going to always be, you know, in an entry-level job. And he's going to talk you out of the plan of God. Don't do that. Amen. Have that winning attitude. You need to know that your life matters. And there are no insignificant jobs in God's kingdom. Everything is important to him. And by his grace, you can change this world for Christ. You need to believe that. I said, by the grace of God, you can change your world for Christ. William Carey, to whom actually People in this country owe a great debt, though they do not realize it. William Carey said this, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. He's a big God, and he can do big things. In other words, many people, they're crippled, they're handicapped with small thinking. Amen? They're crippled with small thinking. Let's move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. Every athlete, verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Winning the race does not begin the moment the runner steps over the finish line. It's decided much, much earlier than that. It's decided long before the race begins. Because athletes don't exercise self-control only during the race itself which may last only a few seconds or maybe a few minutes. It's a lifetime 
It's a lifestyle of self-control. In other words, here's the thing. You must be prepared for promotion. So you may have all these dreams. You may have all these visions, all these hopes of how you want God to use you. But that's going to be just a dream. It will not be a reality until you prepare yourself. Huh? Oh, one day I hope to win the Olympics. I'm sure there are thousands of people that share that hope. But it will not come to pass unless you get ready. And you don't get ready 10 minutes before the race starts. Hey, nobody in the stands of the Olympics says, you know what? I think I'll join also. Can, Can I also join? Forget it, forget it. These people have been preparing their entire life. You might be preparing students. You might be preparing now for your moment, which might be years from now. That's why it's important for you to be consistent. It's important for you to stay steady. Amen. Praise the Lord. Fulfilling your destiny requires training, discipline, and self-sacrifice. Now, if you eat a healthy diet, and don't look at me, but if you eat a healthy diet and you exercise, once again, don't look at me, all things being equal, you probably will be a healthy person. Like I said, you know, all things else being equal, you'll probably be a healthy person. But you're not going to win a gold medal. That's on a whole different level. Come on. Just, uh, you know, jogging around the block in the morning and maybe kind of like cutting out sweets. That doesn't make you an Olympian. <laughs> That's as far from that. that. People in the Olympics don't lose weight because they want to look good in their jeans. <laughs> this is a, this is a diff, totally different mindset. Likewise, if you go to church on Sunday and read your Bible every week for a few minutes and pray a little bit, well, generally speaking, you'll probably be a good Christian, but you won't finish your race. You won't be all that God has called you to be. That's on a totally different level. It requires something. Here's the point. Everybody wants the glory. Very few will pay the price. That's true in sports, and I think that's something that Paul is alluding to here. Spiritually, it's the same thing. He, this man paid a price to be where he was with God. Are you out there today? Now, athletes who won their events in ancient Greece had a wreath made from intertwined branches from a laurel tree. That wreath was placed on their head. And the leaves from the laurel tree gave off a pleasant scent. It was the smell of victory, the aroma of triumph. And even Roman emperors were depicted wearing a laurel wreath on their head. It was a symbol of dominion and authority and power. Now the Bible tells me, Paul tells me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if you know this, but there is coming a day 
when you will stand before the man from Galilee. And he's not going to ask you about your plans, your dreams, your ideas. He's going to talk to you about his will for your life. Hallelujah. Did you do what I called you to do? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And each will receive his wages according to his labor. What does that mean? That means payday's coming. You know, uh, we have people here in the church that are on staff, and of course they have a salary. I'm sure they're praying even now that I would increase that salary, but they have a salary. But really, nobody can pay you adequately for your service to the Lord. And I'm not saying that just to you know, keep their salary small or something. I'm just telling you that's the truth. Nobody could pay you for, for being faithful in your church. Nobody could pay you adequately for, for the times you spent in prayer, the, the, the service you did for others in the church or in the body of Christ. Nobody could adequately ever pay you back. But Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And when I come, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to pay you back for every tear you shed, for every sweaty brow, for ev all your aching muscles, for all the time, all the energy, all the resources you put into my kingdom. I'm going to pay you back. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. See, we don't hear much teaching about rewards, our heavenly reward. See, we all have the same righteousness in Christ. We all have the same relationship with the Father. God doesn't have any stepchildren. We all have the same eternal life. We all have the same inheritance in Christ. But we will not all have the same reward. Because that's based on what you do to fulfill God's will God's purposes for your life. Amen. Here's something you might as well just realize. There will be some people in heaven who have no reward. I mean, they go to heaven, thank God. I mean, that's a thousand times better than going to hell. Yeah, yeah, sure. But they have no reward. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, in the ICB translation says, that man will be saved but it will be as if he escaped from a fire. One translation says like jumping out of a burning house. So some people, there'll be a reward, there'll be promotion, authority. Jesus talked about even people ruling over cities. And some people will be there with their underpants on fire saying, I'm glad I made it. <laughs> and that's it. We're glad you're here too, and that's it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Paul was a highly motivated person. You have to be motivated to endure the things he did. It would have been so easy to just like, you know, I've had enough of this. I'm fed up. Uh, I'm tired of this. You know, I'm an old man now, and I've been doing this for many years. No one is treating me right. People don't like me. He was highly motivated person. One time, the people took him outside the city and stoned him to death. And this left him there, bleeding, dead. But the Bible says while the disciples stood around him, he got up. I don't know whether he was not really dead or whether God raised him up again. I don't know what happened. And you know what he did? He went right back in the town and preached again. 
Most people, you know, we never hear from that person. You know, they would, they would post on Facebook, I'm now living in an undisclosed location. <laughs> the doctor said I should be fine in a couple of years. <laughs> he went right back. I mean, he's got a broken nose, black eye, broken arm, and says, all right, I'm back to preach. Open your Bible. <laughs> he's a highly motivated person. Highly motivated person. But he wasn't driven by fame or fortune. What kept you going, Paul, that day? And these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. So if you want to have a miraculous ministry like Paul, make sure you have the same motivation as Paul. Amen. I got to go on. Notice verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. The CEV translates that verse, I don't run without a goal. It's not enough to be busy. Some people are running. They're just running anywhere. Just to, you, 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 don't, you have to stay in your lane. When the race starts, you can't just look up in the stands and say, I think I'd like to run over there. That looks nice. So I, I think I'll run over to the restaurant. I think I'll, I think I'll run to mama's house. No, you got to stay in your lane. Amen. You have to follow the path that has been prearranged for you. Paul was not in question as to the direction that he should take. He knew his purposes and he didn't stray from them. So in other words, maybe, I don't know if this happened, but maybe somebody came up to Paul and said, hey, Paul, let's start this uh, let's start this business, this consulting business, or, or let's, start, let's build a mall. Why don't we build a mall, rent out shop? But he knew that that may be fine for somebody else, but that's not what God called me to do. I'm going to run my race. The problem with many Christians is they're trying to run someone else's race. There's only grace for your race. When you get out of your lane, when you try to imitate somebody else, when you try to pattern your life after somebody else, you'll notice that you don't have that strength. You don't have that anointing. You don't have the help that you really need because you've wandered away. You're running aimlessly. Hallelujah. I do not box as one beating the air. That's so interesting. I do not box. You know boxing, right? I do not box like one beating the air. I mean, some people know like Kung Fu, Karate, and it looks real impressive. You know, sometimes I see people do demonstrations. They go, wah, cha, 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 cha. You know, obviously that's not me, but you know, you get the idea. But you know, when you're just karate chopping the air, that's not really so impressive. When there's another Karate Kung Fu master and you, kum, 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 now that's impressive. <laughs> Amen. And some Christians, let's be honest, some Christians are fighting imaginary enemies. Just because you have athlete's foot, that doesn't make you an athlete. <laughs> Just because you're hot and sweaty, that doesn't mean you've run your race. Huh? Some people, some, I don't say all, but some people are binding and rebuking devils when in reality, that's not really the problem. Well, then what is the problem? Well, who was Paul fighting? Verse 27. But I discipline my body. Let's read these together. 
I'm not boxing the air. <laughs> but I discipline my body. So when this service is over, go in the bathroom and look in the mirror and say, I have found the enemy. It is I. <laughs> that is to say, it is the flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Other Christians and other churches are not your enemy. You are your own worst enemy. That is to say the fallen human nature in the flesh. Thank God you have the life and nature of God in your spirit. But you have to discipline your body. Romans 8, 12 says this. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You know, sometimes we, we, we know that people, you know, they'll drink, you know, alcohol, modu. Grab a little BD. I don't mean, I don't mean uh, Bachelor of Divinity. <laughs> and they'll say, well, it's been difficult this year. I owe it to myself. No, you don't owe your flesh nothing. <laughs> I said, you don't owe your flesh nothing. Just say, shut up, flesh. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Amen. In fact, in the Greek language, 1 Corinthians 9.27, in the Greek language says this, literally, I beat my body black and blue, like black and blue with bruises, and I make it my slave. That's, what, that's literally what it says in Greek. However, I hope, you're, I hope you're still listening. He's speaking figuratively, okay? Don't damage your body. God needs your body, <laughs> right? If you mess up, don't start chopping off fingers and things like that. Don't do that. God needs your body well. He's speaking figuratively. In Matthew 5, 29, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. But before you do that, listen to Pastor John. Before you do that, you need to know something. We call this hyperbole. Hyperbole. He is intentionally exaggerating. He's not lying. He's using a literary device. He is intentionally exaggerating so that you will get the point. He's not asking you to harm yourself physically. He's talking about exercising self-control, being strict. Now, maybe you do need to kind of give yourself a slap. You go on the internet, hey, no, no, come on, not no, no. <laughs> Right? You, you, you go by the restaurant and there's a bottle of, you know, something. And you go, hey, come on. Don't, you gotta, I make my body my slave. Amen? When my flesh is subdued, my spirit is released. True freedom is found when the body is the slave. And your spirit, led by God's Holy Spirit is the master. And see, what it is, is if it's not that way, if you don't master your flesh, trust me, your flesh will master you. Amen? Now, an athlete's greatest fear is injury. Because one bad fall could end his entire career. And that's why professional athletes take certain precautions. Number one, they stay fit. They, they, they stay, you know, ready. 
If they're not up to it, they, they don't compete. They don't jump in the, in, the, in, in the ring to box an opponent when they know they're, they're, they're not prepared for this fight. And they're careful to avoid situations where they could get injured. As spiritual athletes, our greatest fear is falling into sin. So we must stay spiritually fit by constantly feeding on the word of God, fellowshipping with the saints, and being engaged in prayer, having a prayer life. And we must avoid situations where we are susceptible to temptation. There are some places you should not go. Maybe, maybe like there's a restaurant and you know, you know that behind the curtain they're selling booze. Well, maybe you especially, that's a weakness for you. Maybe you shouldn't even go near that restaurant. Maybe there's certain little avenues and alleyways. You shouldn't even walk down that road. Maybe there are certain people you should avoid. Maybe there are some folks that God is trying to remove from your life and he doesn't want you to keep chasing after them. Hallelujah. Amen. And lastly, this. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's Paul talking. That means it doesn't matter how long you've known the Lord or, or, or how much God has accomplished through you or how much you know. This man wrote half the New Testament. But he said, I can preach to others. But if I don't live a self-controlled life, like an athlete, if I don't have that athlete's attitude, I could fall. And then I won't be able to complete my course. God is merciful. And he's a God of recovery. And he restores. He enables us to bounce back. And thank God for that. But it's better not to fall at all. I said it's better not to fall at all. So we have this hope. One day we will stand before him who died for us and rose again and that he will repay us for our labors. And we know that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. And this fills us with resolve and determination. So we're not going to get distracted. Keep your eyes on the prize. You have a mission in life. There's a higher purpose for you than simply paying the rent and putting food on your table. God has something for you to do in his kingdom. He has chosen you for his purposes. So run your race. Hallelujah. Can we lift up our hands and thank the Lord in this place?